As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Tonight, President Trump said something over the weekend that has heads exploding in the leftist media. We will show it to you. And one Democrat senator just destroyed all the hopes and dreams of the leftist takeover of our election system. Did Joe Manchin just save the Republic? And Republicans in Georgia booed their own governor this weekend at the Georgia State GOP convention. Governor Kemp screwed up royally by handing his state to the Democrats in the last election. But Vernon Jones switched from Democrat to Republican to challenge Kemp and save the Republican Party in that state. And he is with us tonight, right here on Dr. Gina Primetime. I got sad news this weekend that a friend of mine named Xander Gibb passed away over the weekend. He and I were never meant to be friends. You see, he was a leftist and of course I am a conservative. We met on social media, Twitter actually. He sent me a very nasty tweet because he watched my appearance on Wife Swap a few years ago. And here is how ABC portrayed my family and me. Next time on Wife Swap, a staunch Tea Party activist and an apolitical polyamorous wife swap lives for two weeks. Kids, you're getting a lesson. I'm not going to be sleeping in any bed with a woman. The Bible says men shall not lie with men. But it proves to be too much for the families to handle. You're an evil woman. You are an ogre. I don't do it in front of my kids. Okay. I'm not going to do it in front of your kids. I'm finished with this conversation. You're just gold. <laughs> Xander was a gay man who believed that everyone on the right despised him. And Wife Swap confirmed that as they painted my family as a judgmental type of a traditional family. Although we loved this family that we were on Wife Swap with and accepted this trio of one man and two women on that show as best we could. The producers did a great job, as producers it is their job to do on these types of reality show, of causing strife and doing some very, very creative editing. Reality shows aren't real. I hate to break it to you, and that was a horrific experience that I have written about in my books and will probably write more about in my books to come. But today isn't about Wife Swap. It's about Xander Gibb. Xander watched the show and fired off a hateful tweet at me and expected a hateful reply from me, but I responded in a loving way to him. And that opened a dialogue between us that showed him that all Christian conservatives, uh, conservatives in general, aren't actually hateful or judgmental, that we forgive and we keep our nose out of other people's lives and we expect the government just to stay out of our bedrooms. Our Twitter dialogue started Xander on a journey that led him to become a conservative Republican. That was about eight years ago. So Xander, of course, was a ultimately became a huge Trump supporter, realizing that the things that the media said about Trump weren't true either. And I would have Xander on my show occasionally, and he would be on his, and he was always producing online content and became an advocate for civil discourse because of our experience. Before Xander reached out to me, he didn't realize that civil discourse was possible between people that he was told would hate him because of his lifestyle choices. He didn't realize that leftists could talk to people on the right and actually, actually get along. 
But ultimately, if you read, I believe it was my second book, What Women Really Want, Xander wrote an incredible letter to me that will forever be a part of the treasures of my lifetime, telling me how much our relationship meant in his life. And he is gone way too soon. So next time you're about to go at it with a lefty on social media or in person, give them a little opening to have a conversation. It's fun to own the libs sometimes, and trolling back can be fun too, especially when they're being hateful. But every now and then, a little civil discourse and a little love can go a long way, just like it did with my good friend, Xander Gibbs. Xander, you'll be missed, and you are truly loved. And I'm so glad that you took the time to read what I had to say and to listen to me too. And if we all did that, I think the world would be in a much better place than it is today. That's your doctor's orders for tonight. All right, coming up, President Trump trolled the leftist media this weekend and had their heads exploding with just one sentence. We will tell you what it was up next right here on Dr. Gina Primetime. Huge show in store. Stay right where you are. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welcome back. It was a wild weekend in North Carolina at that GOP convention. President Trump spoke to the crowd there, and our own Heather Mullins was there covering it live on RAV TV this weekend. And Heather is here with us now. Heather, great to see you. Great to see you as well, Dr. Gina, as always. Heather, the most notable Trump quote from the weekend didn't even come, though, from that live speech. It came from a video that President Trump did for the NSRC, which is the official fundraising organization for GOP senators. Um, let's, let's listen. I want to thank everybody for the tremendous support you've shown. We're going to take back the Senate, take back the House. We're going to take back the White House. And sooner than you think, it's going to be really something special. Heather, when he said the GOP would be back in the White House sooner than you think, liberal heads exploded. What did he mean by this? Ah, I mean, it's hard to say for sure. He really didn't go into too, too much detail uh, about that. Uh, I know he was championing for a lot of people on the Senate and congressional races, um, you know, to head back to Washington. Could that play a role if we get enough seats down there in the in the uh, in Congress? You know, could they make a difference somehow? I don't know, but I know it gave me chills when I heard the word sooner than you think, Gina. <laughs> yeah, everyone's speculating as to what that means or if he's just trolling, as he has been known to do, or uh, or what, who the message was to. Was that message to the left or was that message to the mega people? Who knows? Anyway, um, I also think many were surprised when Laura Trump took the stage and announced that she would not run for the open Senate seat in North Carolina. There were a lot of disappointed Trump fans, I know, on social media after that announcement. Um, were a lot of people surprised there on the ground? You know, I think they were. I think they were definitely surprised. But you know what? Hats off to her. I mean, she got up there and she said, I have a, a I think it was a one-year-old and a five-year-old. And 
you know, as a mom myself, there's nothing more important than family. And if anything, that just gives me more respect for her and the Trump family, uh, you know, to put family first. And that's what we need is we need somebody leading our nation that also knows the importance of family. And I think, you know, it was, it was smart for her not to run. And she said no for now, but not no forever. So there is some hope that eventually she's going to throw her hat in the ring when she's ready for it. Uh, but I think it was a really smart move on her part and earned her a lot of respect from a lot of people. Are there any other takeaways, anything else that struck you from that convention, Heather? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I'd say the biggest one, and I predict he's going to be a rising star. Could we someday see him in Washington? I hope so. Uh, it was the lieutenant gov governor there, Mark Robinson. He gave a speech uh, the day before the president spoke and had people on their feet. Mind you, he's been working alongside a Democrat governor who's been vetoing just about every bill the House has, has passed. Uh, to try to reopen their state, reopen their schools, get people back to work. This Democrat governor has been vetoing all of those bills. And President Trump actually said he hopes Mark Robinson runs for governor, not just lieutenant governor. Uh, but he was an incredible person who really just, uh, I feel like, is going to be a big player in the future to come. Very interesting. Heather, thank you so much for being here and for all your hard work this weekend. Thanks. Thank you so much, Gina. All right, heads are exploding over at CNN. Check out this headline. Joe Manchin just totally screwed Democrats, it says. The West Virginia senator wrote in an op-ed, wrote an op-ed, rather, in the Charleston Gazette Mail newspaper, and he let his state and the world know that he will not support the Democrats for the People Act that would federalize election law and ensure that Democrats stay in power for eternity. And he also said he would not support ending the filibuster. So it's going to take 60 votes to do anything in the Senate. And as you know, that chamber is tied 50-50. Someone who's very happy to hear that is New York Congresswoman Claudia Tenney, and she joins us now. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. Great to be on, Dr. Gina. Congresswoman, you're the chairwoman for the Election Integrity Caucus that you yourself launched. So you have to be pleased with Senator Manchin's uh, decisions on this, correct? I'm very happy that he's opposed to H.R. 1, the For the People Act, or For the Politicians Act, as it's affectionately being called by uh, sensible Republicans and hopefully some more sensible Democrats. The problem I see, though, is unfortunately, I hope Joe Manchin doesn't buy into H.R. 4, which would be the it's the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, which would overturn a Supreme Court decision back in 2013 that would now allow and go back to federalizing elections again and requiring states to get pre-approval for passing election laws from the federal government, which the Democrats hope to completely control at that point, which means we're going to be subject to uh, the Biden uh, Justice Department to determine whether election laws are going to be passed and whether we actually get common sense reform and maintain the election integrity that we desperately need in our election process. And I, I applaud the states that are doing that now to make sure that we have election integrity. Right, and I think I believe I've heard him say, or uh, maybe I read an article or something where he said that his current intention is to support HR4. Did I imagine that? No, he is supporting HR4 from what we know, and as long as we don't, uh, don't bust up the filibuster, uh, so to speak. Uh, we will. We should still be able to make, you know, not allow that to pass. I mean, what the Democrats are trying to do is bypass everything that the Supreme Court may rule on right now, uh, using, uh, you know, revising laws, and that's what HR four is. 
we do not want to federalize elections. That's exactly what HR 1 does. So in effect, HR 4 would be just as bad. And you know, we're hoping that that doesn't happen. I'd love to be able to have a conversation with Senator Manchin and let him understand that this is not any better than HR 1. And I'm curious what happens uh, when someone like you um, would seem to me, I wouldn't, you know, I think the average guy on the street doesn't know that somebody like you couldn't get a meeting with Senator Manchin. I'm sure you've tried, you've requested one. What is the response? Well, I'm not sure that's true. I've actually met with Senator Manchin before in the past, in my first term. And, you know, I know he's extremely busy and he's uh, taking it from both sides. Obviously, he's the most powerful man in Washington right now. Uh, so he's the guy that uh, everyone's looking to. The Democrats are attacking him. The Republicans are hoping he doesn't completely destroy uh, everything we have left in government and our Constitution by, you know, ceding to the Democrats. But, uh, no, I think if, if we had a moment, I would love to talk to him about election integrity. And, I, you know, I'll certainly uh, reach out to him. We've reached out to Democrats and anyone can join our election integrity caucus. I think it would be even stronger if we could have some common sense Democrats on the caucus to understand how important it is to preserve election integrity and that this can happen to both Democrats and Republicans, the types of irregularities that occurred in our election last year. And my election in particular, I lived it for 100 days of vote counting uh, with all kinds of problems that were caused because of these changes in the rules, uh, pandemic uh, type changes that the Democrats are trying to enshrine forever that we don't need that actually uh, undermine the election integrity. It's really interesting because the way that Washington, D.C. works is usually you want to believe it's, it's about good ideas. But so often, even on the Republican side, if I'm being honest, it's just not really that. It comes down to the next job or the next election or the biggest donor or those kinds of realities. And, and I hate saying that because it's such a cynical mm -hmm. view, but I've been too involved for too long to not state the obvious. And I think many people thought um, that Joe Manchin, frankly, would just be bought off. Did it surprise you when he came out against HR1? Well, no, but it hasn't happened yet. So we still have That's a right. lot of other issues. You know, I have the same frustration as everyone else. I was just a business owner that got frustrated with the politics in Albany and decided to run for office. Well, I ran into a freight train known as the establishment Republicans who tended yes. to support the Democrats in power versus trying to empower Republicans. So I know what it's like and I know the frustration. There are good people on both sides. Uh, you know, I obviously have different views than Democrats. I, I like to see open government. I like to see freedom and individual rights preserved. Uh, you know, I'm constitutionalist, uh, but it is frustrating at times. And I know what it's like to be a business person and a citizen who feels aggravated by it. But you know, one of the reasons that um, I am actually won an election in Congress, lost a narrow one, and then won another narrow one is because I want to tell the truth. Uh, we owned a newspaper. I was the publisher and the editor. And our mission is to tell the truth. And everything that you know, you've seen our former President Trump talk about the media is true. The media tends to be on the side of whoever's in power. And in my community, it was the Republicans. So I fought against the Republican establishment in Washington right now. They're get, you know, they they're in the they're in the tank. It seems with the Democrats and with uh, President Biden, they were in the tank with Obama. And they, they you know, all of them have Trump derangement syndrome. They can't deal with President Trump going after the media. But the the media. The media deserves this comeuppance. And there's a lot of ways that this is mixing and blending. And one thing that you didn't mention that I think is really important is something that's happened with our elections and the interference by these big corporations like Facebook censoring uh, different members of Congress, censoring President Trump, and also putting huge amounts of money into the election process. 
the $350 million that Mark Zuckerberg put in, known as Zuckerbucks, to supposedly take care of pandemic issues when it came down to it, very little PPE and other pandemic assistance was given to these uh, different election uh, uh, districts. And it turns out, oh, by the way, almost 95% of the election districts assisted from the Zuckerbucks were Democrat-run areas. So, you know, this is another problem, and it's another thing we're doing with the Election Integrity Caucus, which I, my co-chair is also Representative Mike Garcia of California, who also had a tough election last year. Well, and a lot of people did. And some elections were just all out lost and they didn't have a way to battle back. And so we're seeing this more and more often. And this is even clear down. I know of school board elections that were stolen. Uh, just the most ridiculous things. And it's getting, it seems more and more rampant. So you're absolutely right. Election integrity is everything. And unfortunately, our, proce our process is so corruptible. But the states that are working hard to pass election integrity laws on a local level, Texas, the latest one that's trying really hard, um, and the states that are on the front line um, that are going to secure our elections are going to do it by doing it on the local elections. Um, it highlights how important state and local elections are, but I want you to explain that to our audience. Right. Well, first of all, our constitutional framework is that elections should be handled by the states and local governments. That's why the Tenth Amendment, you know, gives that power to the states and the, why the federal government should not be getting in the middle of this. You know, a classic example of the federal government, in my opinion, interfering with local elections was the case of the Iowa Second District with our my colleague now, Marionette Miller-Meeks, who won by a, a, a six votes. But in Marionette Miller-Meeks's district and in Iowa, a bipartisan board unanimously selected her and said, you are the, the winner of this race, we're certifying you. And Nancy Pelosi, using the Federal Contested Elections Act, tried to overturn that race until they ran into a wall. Uh, the Democrats are also using, you know, federal laws to try to insert the DOJ, you know, Department of Justice into these laws. So that's why it's so important to preserve the local integrity. The local people know who shows up to vote. They know who their voters are. They've been tasked with this. And unfortunately, one of the problems, particularly in my race, is that under Governor Cuomo promised all these local governments that during the pandemic and the extra stress that was put that on them, early voting, a record number of mail-in ballots, they were told they were going to get increased staff and more money to administer these elections. They didn't get it, which is why we saw chaos, which is why we saw irregularities and a lot of problems in our election process, which took over 100 days before I was finally certified the winner by only 109 votes. And I didn't get sworn in until February 11th. These are problems that the Democrats want to enshrine instead of fix so that every election looks like mine and every election is going to be impossible to administer. We want these uh, people to feel confident and their vote counts. We feel that the, the right to vote is absolutely sacred. There is nothing more important than, than participating in our self-governing constitutional republic than, than, right. than voting. It's sacred. It's important. We had over a million soldiers and army uh, soldiers, Marines, airmen throughout our, our history die so that we could have the right to vote in private, not so that we could have some, you know, group of Democrats or, or, or even Republicans in very few cases, but sometimes, you know, interfere with our election process and the fairness. People just don't feel confident about their government when that most sacred right to vote is undermined. And you mentioned already the Zuckerbucks. Um, are the state laws working to stop Zuckerberg and his influence? And explain how exactly Zuckerberg used the money to influence the elections and why it's so important that, that these 
laws are not federalized? Well, they were pretty clever. First of all, what they did is use these not-for-profits that they funneled the money into, and those not-for-profits would then turn the money over to the local governments, the state governments and the county districts. And, and, and it looked like completely harmless because you didn't see the trail to where the money came from. We also didn't know where the money was going, which is why I wrote a letter today demanding that we find out under these not-for-profit rules where the money goes, how much was sent out to the different districts. And, and we want to know, we need transparency to know that there's, there's interference in our elections and we want to know what that is. So that's among the problems that you have when you don't have you know, when you have interference, uh, you know, Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida immediately stepped on, on this issue, stepped in and took care of this issue by banning Zuckerbucks. You're also seeing that happening in Texas uh, and also in Arizona and other states are going to be following suit. You know, we've got to do that. We cannot have the inter this is what is actually known as electioneering. That means private entities are trying to buy your vote and actually doing it through these, uh, uh, you know, these not for profits you know, is really, you know, sneaky. It's really not fair. And again, another thing that undermines our elections. But, you know, for whatever reason, the Democrats in Congress think this is okay. You know, this is fine as long as, you know, we get, you know, illegal immigrants are allowed to vote at this point. People who aren't 18, uh, people on the prohibited felony list are being allowed to vote because we just can't get any sanity in our election process. And this is wrong. And that uh, not to mention, you know, the ir irregularities that we pers are persisting you know, right now, in the, and we're still looking at audits in Arizona and other states. I mean, why are the Democrats so afraid of an audit? If an audit, if the election was supposedly the cleanest that we've ever had, then you shouldn't be worried about an audit. The audit will reveal exactly the same results, but they're trying desperately to suppress the results of these audits. You know, the audits right. are going to tell us what went wrong, how do we fix it, and how do we have a better election going forward? And the left, they just continually say, their, their mantra is just that, um, you know, to the average voter is that in election integrity laws are racist. That is their favorite word, that it's going to suppress votes. Tell us why that's not true. This is my last question. Well, first of all, most voters, over 80% of voters think that voter ID, for example, is, it should, be, should happen. And these, uh, these laws are, I think it's insulting to minorities and to women to say that somehow by having a voter ID, you know, having voter ID, that you're somehow, you know, saying that, you know, you're disenfranchising me. I, very few people, if any, are could even get through life right now without a voter ID, uh, without some kind of ID, which they could use. And I know even some states like Ohio have actually a two-tiered voter ID system. You have to produce some kind of government idea and then you have to or ID and then you have to also produce like a bill or something that indicates that you actually live at that address. And uh, these are safeguards that's, that, present, that protect us. They're not supposed to be, a, you know, I don't understand how you can argue that, you know, you're suppressing the vote or you're being racist by requiring that your right to vote is not going to be disenfranchised by somebody walking in and saying they're you and getting to vote before you've even had a chance to vote. And that actually happened in my election. In one of the districts, it, somebody came in and voted. Uh, and then a, a few hours later, the same person or someone came in and tried to vote with that person's ID and also with their address and say that they were who they were someone else. I mean, how upset would you be if someone came in and said, oh, you know, you already voted. It's like, no, I am not, I'm, I'm right here. Or that mm -hmm. somebody voted for a family member of yours. I mean, these are things that everybody cares about. It has nothing to do with race or gender or class. You know, these are sacred rights. This is why we have a constitution that's plain language. That's for everyone. That's, you know, again, empowering individuals and their rights. That's why voter ID is so important. 
And that's why it's not racist and it's not disenfranchising anyone. Absolutely. And they don't seem to understand that the tables could all turn and uh, this could all work against them if they pass some of this crazy stuff they're talking about. Congresswoman Claudia Tenney, thank you so much for being here. And thank you for all you do to try to restore confidence and, uh, and actual integrity to our voting system. We appreciate you. Thanks. No, thank you so much. It's an important issue. I hope everyone gets out to vote and make sure that no one votes for you. Uh, your right to vote is sacred. That's right. That's right. All right. Thank you. Well, we showed you how Democrat Senator Joe Manchin essentially saved the republic if he keeps his word on saving the filibuster from being blown up. But there is another Democrat in Georgia who just switched parties to help Republicans save that state. Vernon Jones is next right here on Dr. Gina Primetime. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It's another day of the Biden administration, therefore another day of the Biden border crisis. Check out this horrific story from just the news. Sex offenders are pouring over our southern border and Kamala and Biden doing nothing about it. Our man on the border from the very beginning is Ben Burkwam. Ben, thank you so much for being here. It's uh, great to be on as usual. Now from on the other side of the border. Yes, I can see that you're over and uh, we called it TJ. I, that, that was our, um, when I lived in San Diego, that was our nickname for Tijuana. Um, the, but you are right there. I almost recognize the exact corner you're on, ironically, because I spent a lot of time there when I was there. Ben, the number of sex offenders being caught crossing our southern border is growing exponentially. San Diego was already, already uh, the capital for human trafficking. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, I haven't heard any statements from them. I haven't even heard validation of these kinds of numbers. It seems like they don't care, Ben. Well, you know, it's, it's crazy. I'm actually right where the San Diego Port of Entry, uh, just down behind me. Uh, we can't even get any closer to this. We're, we're by a police officer right here. But because if you get down close, that's where the encampment is, where we have about 2,000 people. It's doubled from the, the last time I was here people waiting to cross that have been invited by Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, they have yet to come down to the U.S. side of the southern border, uh, much less the Mexico side. But now she has the nerve to go down to Guatemala. All, all of this, well, we know, like you said, just the news reporting that sex offenders are pouring over. Keep in mind, too, yesterday, they just had the elections here, and there were human remains and human heads that were taken to the polling, pla polling places to try to dissuade voters from voting for the conservative party. All of this is happening under Joe Biden and Kamala Harris's watch. Unbelievable. Then, as you mentioned, down in Guatemala, Kamala is on her first foreign trip there. She supposedly, at least she says, she's going to fix the migrant crisis from there. But the Guatemalan president and protesters don't seem to want her there. Yeah, no, they don't. And it's, it's interesting when you speak to people on the ground here in Mexico, or when we were down in Guatemala, uh, they, they realize, the people that get it realize, it's the corruption. It's American corruption as well. People in America, people don't realize this. You know, We've known that Mexico's been corrupt for years. Politicians have been bought off by the cartels for years. The same thing occurs in Guatemala. 
Uh, those are the real problems that we have. But what people don't realize is that is happening in America as we speak. We have American politicians, American citizens being bought off by the same cartels that we have down here in Mexico and Central America. And so the, the people in Guatemala that are having to live through day to day the crisis that they have to live through get it that people like Kamala Harris are not there to help. If anything, they're what caused the problem. It's interesting because it seems as though from what you're describing to me and honestly what I was beginning to witness um, at the end of my time living there in San Diego, there was an alignment between the leftist politicians um, in California and in America and the cartels um, and the leftist politicians also in Mexico. It seemed that those people all went together. And then the conservative politicians in Mexico tended to align against the cartels, of course, and with the more conservative politicians in America. Is this the same sort of um, alignment that you're seeing? And, and why is that? No question about it. Uh, the, the the cartels in Mexico are aligned with the socialist communists in Mexico, uh, with the uh, uh, Maduro, the, all, all of these, the, the leftist socialist party down here. In fact, they the human remains that they took, they took the four polling places here in Tijuana yesterday. Uh, they took uh, three heads and, and human body remains to these, and they were all conservative polling locations because they wanted to dissuade conservative voters. These are the same people that are supporting the left in America. And it's clearly because, I mean, it's, it's human nature. You're, you're protecting your own interests. Who are the people that are supporting open borders? What does open borders actually support? So open borders supports human trafficking and drug trafficking. If you support open borders, which the Democrats in America do, you are supporting the cartels. And anyone who says differently is either ignorant or stupid. It is, it is, it is a direct positive relationship if you support open borders, you are directly supporting the cartels. And the same thing happens down here in Mexico. I mean, for instance, uh, um, the president, the Mexican president now, his his whole mantra was hugs, not bullets. They wanted to deal with the cartel using hugs, not bullets. Well, guess who that helped? The cartel. Wow. doesn't help the citizens of Mexico. It only helps the cartel. They're, they're, so it's clear. In Mexico, the alignment is cartels with the, the communists and socialists. In America, it's the cartels with the Democrats. It's very interesting because when, when I lived in San Diego, I was part of a doctor's group and um, we all supported one another and it was across the border. So there were some of us on the San Diego side of the border and there were some of us um, that practiced back and forth and some practiced over on the other side. And we all helped each other out. We met for dinners socially and exchanged ideas, talked about FDA laws, which were very interesting, a lot of medications, a lot of surgical procedures you can get in Mexico that you should be able to get in the United States, but you can't because of uh, bureaucratic politics, frankly, um, and because of big pharma and the of the American Medical Association and the uh, American Psychological Association been. And I can tell you, the educated, intelligent, um, you know, middle class of Mexico that I knew didn't want anything to do 
with the socialist left and the cartels. They they saw the things that been you've been exposing there, like the the drowning of the little children, like the raping of the women and children as they were trying to take them across the border. No one was exposing this until until frankly you were. But they knew about it and they told me about it. And not even to mention the drugs and the impact it has on our legal immigrant population, and not to mention even the expat population over in Mexico. So the people that are hurt by this, um, it's not lost on the people who live there, as you've told us many times before. And those voices are essentially silenced. The only ones you hear are the radical left voices over in Mexico. But there are a lot of other voices there, too, that we don't often hear from. And I'm so glad, Ben, that you are illuminating all of this and making it all make sense to us. This is no surprise to me, but I don't think the American public really realizes that there is a middle class in Mexico and it is aligned with the conservative politicians and the cartels are very aligned as you outlined for us um, with the left politicians in this country and the fact that they're leaving body parts been um, it just says a lot doesn't it it does it does there is a populist movement going on in America there's also a populist movement going on in Mexico that does hard thing is Mexico is uh, the so-called conservatives you know, sold out. They were there was a lot of corruption on their end years ago as well, and so the people of Mexico don't trust many of the so-called conservatives down here as well. What really has to happen is there has to be a, a, a party that actually comes, a, a people's party that isn't socialist, that is pro-working class in Mexico, and that party, if they can gain the trust of the Mexican people, will take this country over. Uh, we'll, we'll, it, you know, it's yet to be seen. But one positive light from the elections yesterday is we did see. A shift away, at least in, in Mexico, uh, Mexico's Congress, away from the Socialist Democrats, and they lost their political power. Now they have only a simple move. So a lot of what had, uh, pushing for more socialist policies aren't going to be able to happen, at least in the next couple of years. So there is positive movement here in Mexico. The problem is, just like what we're seeing on the border, there's it's too little, too late, and what we're, the, the floodgates are just opening. So it's it's major disaster, not just for Mexico, but for America and the world if this continues. Yeah, well, I'm glad to hear about that shift, Ben, because there are a lot of innocent, uninformed Mexicans uh, dying um, as a result of these horrid politics in the cartel. So thank you so much for being with us, Ben. Thanks, Dr. Jim. All right, over the weekend, Georgia Republican Governor Brian Kemp was booed mercilessly by the crowd at the Georgia State GOP convention. Also at that convention, the Secretary of State was formally censured by his own party. Georgia Republicans are ticked that the governor and the Secretary of State mishandled the elections and essentially handed the presidency and the Senate majority over to the Democrats in a state that is solidly a Trump Republican state and should have been an easy win for Republicans last fall. And now that the state Republican Party is ticked at their governor and Secretary of State, will they turn to a man who just left the Democrat Party to become a Republican to be their governor? It's an amazing story. You can't write fiction like this. Will former Democrat Vernon Jones save the Georgia Republican Party? Let's ask him. Representative Vernon Jones, so good to see you. Good to see you, too. Thank you so much for having me on your show. As always, I love coming on America's Voice. Always a pleasure. Representative, that had to be embarrassing for the governor of Georgia to be booed in his own state. You know, Dr. Gina, um, that's the pattern, though. Look at what has happened to him and no other governor. He has been censored by a number of the county Republican Party members. 
Um, even at the congressional delegation meetings, there were several, maybe six or seven, uh, that uh, also censored him. And there was a move to censor him here, but the establishment did everything they could uh, to keep him from being embarrassed. Um, and at the same time, they sacrificed the Secretary of State when, in fact, the governor, the uh, attorney general, and the Secretary of State all had their hands on allowing Stacey's law to supersede state law that created the fraudulent um, uh, issues around absentee balloting as it relates to signature verification as well as uh, these so-called drop-off boxes. None of that was in our Constitution at the time it was used in the 2020 and the 2021 elections. And so, yeah, it was an embarrassment for him. As a matter of fact, as, as quick as he came in, he left that quick as well. Uh, but it showed that he was out of touch with people. They wanted election integrity. He didn't stand up for election integrity. He didn't stand up for President Trump. He created a scenario where we lost two U.S. senators and the president's election, which cost us the country. So goes Georgia, so goes America. And so, yes, they had a right to do that. They felt that way. That was their frustration. But if you think that's something, you wait until the, until the election, and he's going to really feel what had happened and the impact that it had on Georgia's voters. Yeah. Yeah, because this weekend was really supposed to be about them, but it turns out that a lot of people made it about you. Well, you, you know, normally we have a sitting governor. Uh, the state convention is the governor's convention. But in this right. particular case, um, it really, it, it was made about me, but the people who did this were Georgians. They were those who came together like no other time. Let me tell you, this was the largest GOP convention that anyone can recall. And not only was the largest, but this is the time, this is the first time you had this many first-time people there. I mean, about two-thirds of the people there were first-time people who never been to a GOP convention. They've done their civic duty. They've gone and vote, cycle in and cycle out. But to get involved, let me tell you, Dr. Gina, just like you and me and everyone else, they have gotten tired and mad at their TV, and they want to get involved, and they want to make a difference. And it's been a grassroots effort. When things start from the bottom, it blows the top off. And let me tell you, Georgians, the grassroots, they're about to blow the top off the, the establishment and the leadership who failed them uh, with election integrity. I mean, they literally, while they were on the sidelines, many of them and myself were on the front lines, not only fighting for election integrity, but fighting for President Trump. He deserves to have, to have had a second uh, re-election or should have been re-elected. And our governing leadership, the Republican leadership, uh, didn't do anything. They cut and ran on this president, and they cut and ran on election integrity. And people are mad about it, and they're not going to forget him. No, they're not. Um, we have a hard break coming up, so I need you to be quick on this. But I, I want you to tell us two quick things. Can everything be fixed before the election, and how can supporters help you? Well, first of all, uh, the election is going to be in May. We're looking forward to having support. People can go to jonesforgeorgia.com, make a donation. If you want to join this fight, you want to fight for election integrity, you want to fight so we can take back our state and take back our country, please support our efforts. They know that I'm the only one that can beat Stacey Abrams. The liberals are going crazy. The Democratic Party is going crazy. So join me. We're building the party. We're bringing in more conservative minorities. We're bringing in more uh, young people. We are here yeah. to fight for you. So, again, go to jonesforgeorgia.com and help me out. Help us this out, weekend is any, If this any weekend is any indication, uh, you're on a good track. Representative Vernon Jones, candidate for governor down in Georgia, good luck with your race. Thanks for being with us. Feel the Vern. <laughs>
<laughs> Feel the burn. Coming up, should the news media be considered infrastructure so they can be given billions of Biden infrastructure bill? That's next right here on Dr. Gina Primetime. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. It's time for some news that you didn't know and here to deliver it as always from our RAV TV headquarters in Denver, Colorado, Jessica Rivera. Jessica, great to see you. Great to see you too, Dr. Gina. And my report today is great nonpartisan news. Today, the Food and Drug Administration actually announced it has approved the first new medication for Alzheimer's disease. The prescription is Aduhelm and is manufactured by the company Biogen. This comes after the FDA's Independent Advisory Committee and some Alzheimer medical experts have said there really isn't enough evidence that proves the drug actually works for these types of patients. The drug is a monthly intravenous infusion that is supposed to slow cognitive decline in people in the early stages of Alzheimer's. According to the FDA, the treatment is intended to attack the process of Alzheimer's and not just address dementia problems. And Dr. Gina, clinical trials of the new drug have proven to be incomplete as far as its effectiveness, but the FDA has granted its approval under one condition, and that is that Biogen conducts a new clinical trial. But since clinical trials we know can take several years in the meantime, the FDA is allowing the treatment to be available to patients. So this comes as great news in the world of Alzheimer's treatment because there is at least an option to try something new that could possibly work for some people who would otherwise have no hope. Now, Jessica, is this because of uh, President Trump, former President Trump's uh, right to try? Um, you know, I, I have a feeling, um, it doesn't say that in the article, but I have a feeling that it was an easier way for the FDA to approve this with a clinical yeah. trial not showing the effectiveness because of President Trump's uh, previous stance on right to try. And so my thought is yes, because I have a feeling the FDA would have kind of had a little more backlash in regards to the trials. Um, so yeah, I think in the long run, we are gonna find out that a lot of new medications are gonna be able to be used um, just because they don't necessarily are going to help everybody, they may be able to help one or two people. And that's a big thing in the way of uh, prescriptions and big uh, diseases like all kinds of cancers and Alzheimer's. Exactly. All right, Jessica, thank you so much. You're welcome. All right, after being told we would all die without a mask for a year and a half, Americans are tired of being told what to do for their personal safety. Seatbelt use has gone down dramatically since the pandemic. Deaths on the road from people being ejected from their cars has risen 20% in the past year. And that's especially surprising considering that the roads were much quieter because of nationwide lockdowns. And here's why I believe this is happening. People have completely lost trust in the government. Fauci lied about masks. We all know it now. And the government tells us we will all die if we don't wear our seatbelts. So was that a lie? Maybe not, but people sure don't care to be lectured about their personal safety any longer. So Americans, I think, might just be done with seatbelts like they're done with masks. They're just tired of the government telling them what to do. Thanks to Fauci and his lies throughout COVID, we all have to wonder, what other lies are the experts telling us for personal gain or just to cover up their screw-ups? Do we even need to put kids in car seats? 
Was that all lied to by some government bureaucrat invested in the car seat industry? Of course, we should put kids in car seats. I'm just throwing out the things that might be running through people's minds. Not only that, when you think about it like this, how many people, how many of the police officers are busy doing other things than patrolling who's wearing their seatbelts? I know I've been on many, many planes where they no longer ask you about your seatbelt because they're so completely obsessed with whether your mask that doesn't actually work is covering your mouth and your nose, right? How many times have you been asked about your seatbelt lately on an airplane? Tony Fauci has done more to make Americans distrust the government than any sleazy politician in American history. And I mean that. And maybe we can finally thank him for finally being so corrupt, being such a liar, that the sheeple are ready to leave the flock and begin to bring back critical thinking. Here with me now to discuss, radio talk show host Kevin McCullough. Kevin, no doubt we should wear a seatbelt. No doubt our children should be in car seats. But, you know, there has been a backlash, I believe, by many just not wanting to be told by the government what they should and shouldn't do. And I've noticed this just anecdotally. What are your observations? Well, it's interesting that we're talking about this because I've just flown two flights in the last uh, 48 hours after not having flown a flight in the last 18 months. And I have to tell you that I think that you're right. I don't remember much discussion about uh, the seatbelts on the plane, but I do remember many times the uh, flight attendants coming up and down the aisle, not asking me, I was complying with the rules, but asking other people around me, hey, make sure that mask is over your nose and so forth. And I, I wanted to raise my hand and say, but did you guys see the CDC guidance? Do you know anything about the actual truth of what is happening here? These masks don't even work. The aerosol goes through them. It doesn't stop anything. But that would have not been helpful, so I didn't do that for my fellow passengers. But to your point, I think that we have reached a point where the damage done by Fauci in particular, and I, I single him out, is going to have reverberating uh, cycles of consequence to it. And um, my good friend Georgie Borman, who writes for The Federalist, said today in a very good column that everybody should go read, that if COVID-19 ever ends up being a drama, that Tony Fauci is not the hero, he's the antagonist. And I think she's mm. right. Yeah. Kevin, another story I want to ask you about is uh, the news media wants to be considered infrastructure because they want a big <laughs> bailout because they're failing, like the failing New York Times, as Trump calls it. What do you think about this? Well, this is a little bit disingenuous, and it really is just people wanting to get a bigger grab at, at more money because every media company in the country was eligible for PPE loans. And if you applied for them and you got them, and I know a couple that got a few million for them, you were able to uh, write that off uh, as legitimate expenditure if you use it to continue salaries and keep people employed. The idea that you now need to be written into the infrastructure bill is worse, is, is worse than pathetic. And I hope that none of my allies uh, in the uh, left or the, the, the right-leaning uh, edge of the media universe, including most uh, conservative news outlets and broadcast companies. I hope that none of them are involved in this nonsense because it is absolute silliness. Yeah. All right, Kevin, it's time for our meme of the day. I love this part of the show. Here we have Kermit the Frog looking out the window on a rainy day and pondering the thought of how great Trump's tweets would have been 
about Fauci's emails. But Kevin, we'll all just have to wonder, won't we? <laughs> well, I, I don't know, Dr. Gina, but Kermit the Frog would <laughs> love to weigh in on that for sure, because you know it would have been quite good. Okay, I'm done with Kermit. <laughs> yes, I've been dying to know what uh, President Trump thought about a few things. But by the way, if people don't know, he has launched his own commentary space and they can go subscribe to it uh, at the office of 45 and get his thoughts on everything. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And we put that up every once in a while so that people can do exactly that. So you're absolutely right, Kevin. And uh, your come with the frog impression is far better than mine, let me just say. Um, <laughs> we appreciate you, Kevin. Thank you so thank much you. for being with us, as you usually are every Monday. And then I go back in the morning and miss you do on radio today. We missed you today. I missed, I missed you today, too. But uh, we'll, we'll make up for it and do an extra awesome uh, appearance uh, <laughs> next Monday. How's that, Kevin? Look forward thanks to for it. joining me. <laughs> me, too. All right. And thanks to all of you for joining me tonight. Thanks to everyone here at your new home for real news, Real America's Voice, live from Studio 6B up next with Damon and his crew. And don't forget to tune in tomorrow. This week we'll have tons of big shows for you, so you won't want to miss a one. Hug your children, love your God, you go boldly now, and live the truth. Good night, everybody.